Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. Going on, mate. Great to be along for some more half-assed history on the agenda this week. Going to be having a chat about the Mongol conquest of Khwarezmia. Now, obviously, we're all at least a little bit familiar with the Mongols and the story of the Mongol Empire. Uh, obviously, initially led by Genghis Khan. You've all heard of that bloke. But the early conquests and campaigns uh, was was where they gained their reputa- reputation for savagery and brutality, and you know all this ruthlessness that we tend to associate with them today. And I tell you what, it doesn't get much more brutal and ruthless and savage than what happened in Khwarezmia, because that's where it sort of all all kicked off, went from, uh, you know, start at the bottom, now we're at the top sort of moment there for Genghis Khan. It all kicked off with, uh, with this conquest of this area known as Khwarezmia. Now, as usual... Before we get underway with, you know, the topic today, we're going to jump back a little bit to, to set the stage, and we're going to move back now to 1206. This is all happening this week in the 13th century. 1206 is where our story starts. When a bloke whose name is Temujin is proclaimed the new ruler of a united Mongolia, right? Now, this fellow Temujin, he had licked the bloke who had previously, previously been the most powerful Mongol, whose name was, this is not a joke, Wang Khan, Right and then mopped up any of the remaining resistance from other Mongolian tribes between uh, 1203 and 1205. So we've got a, a united Mongolian people here under the name under, under this bloke, Temujin, who, of course, renames himself, and I'm sure you've guessed what he renames himself as, Genghis Khan. And so this is the beginning of the Mongolian Empire proper. This empire would go on to be one of the largest contiguous land empires that the world has ever seen. I mean, it was the largest at its time, of course. Uh, it spanned uh, 24 million square kilometres at its peak in 1270. It would later go on to be eclipsed by, of course, British Empire, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. We know that before. Anyway, before it disintegrated and fell apart as we get close to the 14th century, this empire reached from modern-day Poland all the way across Central Asia, into the Korean Peninsula. This thing is huge. It's an enormously expansive empire, and it all kicked off again, as I say, 1206 under Genghis Khan. So, early days yet, as I'm saying, uh, but Genghis, he's not wasting time. He gets on the front foot, he starts going off, mate, he starts cracking them towards the covers, he's ready to crack some skulls, ready to feast on the entrails of his enemies, and so he takes the conquest out of the Mongolian Empire, now out of, you know, out of the, the original sort of homelands, the OG, the, the Grove Street, of, uh, of the Mongolian Empire and starts, uh, starts smashing them down the wicket. So he wrecks the absolute crap out of the closest neighbours of the empire, namely the Western Shah d- dynasty and the Jin dynasty. Uh, this takes place in, in what's today northeastern China. And once Genghis had, capt- had captured Zhongdu, which is modern-day Beijing in 1215, he, he turns his attention westward. He rides off towards the sunset and in doing so absolutely crushes another kingdom, the Karakitai, in 1218. And this is where we start to get towards Khwarezmia. Now, in the early 13th century, Khwarezmia is an Islamic empire. It occupies modern-day Iran and curves up around both sides of the Caspian Sea while also going out a little bit eastwards through what's today Afghanistan. Uh, Its eastern borders run up against the Mongolian Empire, which, as you'd imagine, is expanding at the speed of a greyhound, mate, as Genghis Khan gets busy and heads west. It's ruled by a shah, or a king, uh, whose name is, are you ready for this one? Allah Adanya wa Adin Abdul Fath Muhammad Samja ibn Takish, who we are going to call Muhammad for short. And I tell you what, this bloke, 
I, it was it was very gifted in the long name department, not very gifted in the you know brain department. So an unfortunate uh, unfortunate sort of situation for him to be in because he essentially had uh, squash flies and bits of fluff in his head, uh, which means that when the the Mongols come a knocking, uh, he really stuffs it all up beyond belief. Because by this stage. The brutal ruthlessness of the Mongols, it's pretty well known. And old mate Muhammad, he knows that these bastards don't mess about, and uh, which makes what he did when he was reproached by them all the more perplexing. Because what happens is this. In 1219, old mate Genghis, he sends off some messages to Muhammad, and he says, G'day, mate. How you go? Well, he doesn't say that. He tells the messengers, get going and tell them, pass on this message. And, and the messengers then go and say, G'day, mate. How you going? Listen. Hear from old Genghis, you know, you've heard of him, you know, sort of vanquisher of his foes, rips the head off people, that's right, yep, 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 you don't want to mess with him. Listen, he wants to get the dollary dues flowing between the Mongols and the Khwarezmians, right? It's going to be a ripper idea, we'll get these trade deals going, we'll get economy, you know, get the finance world going, kick things off here like that. It's going to be great, it's going to be fantastic for both sides. You know, we're not all that interested in conquest at the moment, let's get some trade deals going and uh, and see if we can uh, make, make this happen. Now, the reason that uh, Genghis Khan isn't, immediately interested in a conquest here is because he's still cleaning up a few loose ends fighting the Jin Dynasty back out east and uh, he's not super keen to kick off uh, a- another scrap with with someone else. Muhammad, however, he goes, no, 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 absolutely not. What's that I can smell? It is a rat. I do not trust you, Mongol, uh, you Mongolian blokes. I don't, I don't trust this Genghis bloke. I reckon he's playing funny buggers. And uh, I'll tell you this, it, uh, it doesn't matter what you do or what you say. I'm not going to start trying to, uh, you know, not going to sign trade deals with you. So just, you know, Tell your story walking. Don't don't let the door hit you on the way out, old mate. Now these messages they go back to Genghis and Genghis goes, Oh well, you know, he's just he's just talking he's just talking rubbish. Don't even worry about it. He's got his head that far up his ass, he can see into the future. So let's just send off a trade caravan. It'll be all good. And once they see those riches flowing from you know the Mongols, it, it, don't even worry about it, it'll be fine. So they send uh, they send these blokes, about five hundred of them. Uh, in a you know, as part of this trade caravan that, that Genghis had uh, had ordered. And uh, Muhammad is not happy about this. At all. He absolutely loses his marbles about it. He's very, very unhappy. And he tells a, a bloke, one of his deputies, a bloke named Inalchuk, who's the governor of Otra, which is one of the Charismian cities, to arrest the entire caravan, right? And, uh, and, and take all of the people, take all of the people who are with it prisoner, right? So he does this. Now, all of these people, interestingly, were Muslims. All of the people that were sent off in this trade caravan were, were Islamic. And Genghis, this is the reason, because Geng- Genghis was pretty generally pretty tolerant when it came to religion and you know and he thought the smart thing to do would be to send muslims to trade with other muslims but you know muslim or not they all get arrested by this bloke in Alchuk acting on the orders of muhammad and genghis as you might imagine is none too bloody pleased by this by all his mates getting chucked in the slammer and so he sends off a few ambassadors to sort this uh, this situation out he sends off two mongols and once again a muslim again trying to sort of parlay on their own terms there by sending uh, by sending off someone who's you know a little, got a little bit more in common with them anyway muhammad he receives these blokes he says how oh, how are you fellas come in do you want a milo just i'll just chuck some pies in the oven for you how about that ha <laughs> nah psych you dumb idiots you blokes are absolutely buggered here the shah after this right after this this very very inhospitable welcome violates one of the basic tenets of diplomacy, of international diplomacy, and he starts messing with these ambassadors in a major way. Check this out. The two Mongolian ambassadors are forcibly shaved, and the Muslim one had his bloody head cut off, which, when you think about it, is a fair bit worse, I think it's fair to say. 
I mean, you can imagine what it's like for him there. He's watched his mates get shaved, and then all of a sudden the bloke comes towards him with an axe. He says, are you going to cut my hair with... Are you going to shave me with the axe, or what, what's going on? And he's realised, oh, don't, mate, can, I just, can I just have the haircut as well? I mean, come on, I'll, 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 I'll chop my beard off rather than my, my head. Or actually, maybe maybe that wasn't what it was. Maybe the barber was just really, really bad at his job. And after, you know, successfully shaving two beards, the, the last one just went absolutely, you know, so far south. It got, yeah, well, uh, look, I don't know. Historians... We'll, we'll debate this. The, the debate will rage on, I'm sure. In any case, it doesn't matter. Just to sum up what's happened here, just to sort of, you know, the, 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 let's have a, look, a broad look at what's happened. This bloody silly Galah Muhammad, he has had Genghis Khan, a warlord who has already absolutely ruined three kingdoms in the last decade or so, come to him and say, hey, mate, let's get a trade deal going. How about that? And Muhammad, instead of being like, oh, yes, of course, Mr. Genghis Khan, I will do a deal with you rather than have you come and slaughter all my people... He goes, no, 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 absolutely not. Stick it up your bum. I don't, I don't care, right? No matter how you look at this, uh, where the you know excrement hit, hits the air conditioning is where Genghis learns of what has happened to his ambassadors. He is as cross as a frog in a sock. He is absolutely spewing, and he makes an executive decision. Bugger trading, bugger Khwarezmia, and bugger this prick Muhammad. It is time for an invasion, mate. Now, Old Mate Genghis, he is a crafty fellow, and despite absolutely frothing with rage at this bastard who's just given you know, all of his ambassadors the old Peter Garrett treatment, he doesn't rush in, uh, you know, waving his sword about. Not at all. Not at all. He sends spies and scouts all up and down the Silk Road, which linked Europe and Asia through the Middle East, and he does his homework about Khwarezmia. And this was a hallmark of Genghis's style of waging war. It was extremely characteristic of him to get every single bit of information that he could about his enemy so as to work out the best way to give them a comprehensive shafting. So in anyway, in 1219, he raids he rides across the uh, I guess raids as well across the Tian Shan Mountains with an enormous host of, uh, of of warriors there. Now, exactly how enormous is still up for debate, as estimates range uh, from as low as 75,000 to as high as 800,000, which seems a bit bloody silly to be honest. But the generally accepted figure is somewhere in the range of 100,000 to 150,000 people. So a, a fair few, it's fair to say. Anyway, along with his fighting force, uh, Genghis also brings a huge support sh- support sh- Support staff? Sure. Sean Connery has taken over half past history this week. Support staff, including a a bunch of newly conquered Chinese blokes who are experts with siege weapons. This is very new technology to this part of the world. Siege weaponry is going to uh, all give give these uh, these Charismians something to think about here. Mohammed, he makes a pretty colossal mistake early on in the war. He splits up his forces to garrison themselves across all of the cities in Charismia. So rather than sort of, you know, amalgamating one massive fighting force to hold off the Mongols, he splits them all up and goes very much on the defensive, trying to defend all of these cities individually. He does this for two reasons. Firstly, he's worried about the commanders of one single army might betray him to the Mongols. So, you know, a a general sees this huge horde of Mongolians coming at him and says, all right, fair enough, you know what, you got us, don't worry about it, let's turn around and give this Muhammad a hiding. So he doesn't want that to happen. And secondly, he's heard, incorrectly, that the Mongols don't know the first bloody thing about siege warfare. Now, this may be true, but don't forget they've got all these Chinese specialists that they've conquered to come in and help them with all this siege warfare. So this is very, very important, uh, the fact that uh, Muhammad makes this big mistake. And, uh, of course, this last point, uh, you know, to do with siege warfare is is proven very, very quickly uh, to Muhammad. He's proven wrong very, very quickly indeed, because the Mongols, they lay waste to Charismia um, with these 
ridiculously advanced gunpowder bombs. They're, they're lobbing these bombs over city walls. It's the first time that gunpowder had been put to widespread use outside of Eastern Asia. And, uh, and, and you know, the city doesn't know how to deal with this. This is, this is like essentially people turning up today for a scrap and someone pulling out a lightsaber or a laser gun. It's just, it, it's completely, you know, off, off the, off the it's, it's not anything that anyone has seen before. Genghis himself heads to Otra, where the initial trade caravan had been arrested, and he, lay, he lays siege to it for five months, right? So this city is holding out, in fairness, against the siege weaponry, but he, holds it out, he, he, he lays siege to it for five months before some idiot dumb galoot leaves a side gate open into the city, and then it is all over Red Rover. In Alchuk, the governor responsible for the arrest, he fights to the bitter end. Uh, if, if, the, if the reports are to be believed, check this out, he climbs up onto the top of the citadel in the middle of the city and, believe it or not, chucks roof tiles down at the Mongols before they finally capture him. So good on this bloke. Absolutely not going down without a fight. But uh, eventually he gets captured. He's dragged before Genghis and Genghis says, ah, here he is. Look at this dickhead. He stuffed it all up to begin with. This bloke, it's all thanks to you, mate. You think you can mess with my business, old son, and get away with it? Well, absolutely not. You're buggered. Check this out. Genghis then pours molten silver into this bloke's eyes and ears to execute him. What a monster this bastard Genghis Khan was. Unbelievable. He also slaughtered most of the inhabitants of Otra as well and enslaved those he didn't kill. So, you know, there's that too. Anyway, after Otra, Genghis paid visits to many of the other Chrismian cities and absolutely wrecked them. And here is the highlights reel. Let's kick things off with Bukhara. Bukhara is a city that's separated from the Mongol force by the Kazuklum Desert. That is... That looks like someone had an aneurysm while typing it or just fell asleep at the keyboard. It is K-Y-Z-Y-L-K-U-M. The Kazuklum Desert. I don't know. Anyway, the, uh, you know, the Quisrans, they think they're safe from attack. The Mongols uh, are miles away across you know, the other side of a desert and they go, okay, Bukhara, easy game. We don't need to worry about fortifying this one too much. It's going to be simple because they're not even going to be, they, they can't cross this desert. No way. Well, surprise, surprise. The Mongols hop from oasis to oasis to oasis before arriving at the city in one of the most successful surprise attacks in history. They capture the city and follow the usual Mongolian routine. All the craftspeople were sent back to Mongolia, all the young blokes were forced to join the army, and the rest were killed or enslaved. And just for good measure, the Mongols burnt down the city once they'd finished looting it. So, yep, take no prisoners. Uh, After this, well, I guess take a lot of prisoners. They took a bunch of slaves as prisoners, but you understand what I mean. After this, Genghis rode to Samarkand and arrived in 1220 and attacked with the characteristically brutal strategy of using the prisoners that he'd taken as human shields. So, again, really not letting up. The, the, uh, the forces at Samarkand rode out to meet them, and the Mongols feigned retreat to begin with, which means that the defenders go, oh, we bloody got them on the ropes, no worries, everyone get out of the city, go and give chase, wreck these blokes as they're, you know, rout these, these guys, run them down. And, uh, of course, the retreat was fake, and all of these people were duly slaughtered as the Mongols turned back on the army outside the city walls. I mean, yeah, pretty pretty clever stuff there from uh, from Genghis there. I don't think I would have fallen for that one. Mongols, not known for their retreats, not famous for that, so stay inside your city walls next time, I think. Anyway, Genghis ended up giving them a, an opportunity to surrender, saying that he would spare those who did, and uh, then when they surrendered and a bunch of people said, oh, thank you so much for your mercy, Genghis. You know, you, you promised to, uh, to, 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 to spare us and thank you so much for that. And Genghis says, oh, did I? I don't remember that. Did I really promise? To... He turns around to his advisor and says, did I promise to spare these guys? Because I, I don't remember saying that. And the advisor's like, oh, mate, look, I don't remember. I, I, was, I was busy. I mean, I was, I was in the toilet. I don't really remember what you were saying at all. And Genghis says, yeah, I don't. I don't remember promising to spare you. Sorry. 
No, no, no. Slaughter every single one of you blokes. No, no, no. Slaughter, like get, get them all together and just kill every single one of them. And what happens is when the city surrendered, Genghis assembled the entire population outside of its walls and had them all killed and then built pyramids out of their heads around the city. So again, really not messing about this bloke. Next up after Samarkand was Urgrench, which proved a little more difficult for the Mongols as it was built on a sort of marshy, sticky, swampy bog, essentially. But they got there all the same. And uh, this time, the post-conquest massacre was particularly bloody and particularly brutal, even by Mongol standards, um, with a contemporary historian saying that each Mongol killed 24 Urgrentians. Urgrentians? I'm going to go with Urgrentians. It's a bit late for me to back out now. Urgrentians each. 24 Urgrentians killed by each Mongol. Ridiculous. Now, this is probably a little bit of an overestimate, as that would mean that 1.2 million people would have been put to the sword. But all the same, it was an absolute bloodbath, no matter how you look at it. It was absolutely insane. Then up next, there was Gurjang, which sat on the banks of the Aral Sea near some dams. And you could never accuse the Mongolians of, of much in the way of subtlety because they just destroyed the dams and flooded the entire city and then killed anyone that survived. At this point, Genghis uh, is now ready, uh, after you know having such a, a comprehensive conquest of so much of Khorezmia, he's ready to split up his forces. And uh, so for some of the other cities now, we have the, 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 the Mongols fighting on two fronts, because what he does, he sends off his youngest son, a bloke named Tului, to take the fight further westward and capture the cities there. Now, to Louis, let's, uh, let's catch up with what he did. Very dutiful son. He does exactly what his dad tells him to. He cuts a path of destruction all the way to a city called Merv, which I quite like, uh, which is overcrowded with refugees that had fled away from the hordes in the east. Now, to Louis, he lays siege to the, uh, to the city, but uh, after a while, he gets bored. He's sick of sitting there waiting for these blokes to surrender, and so attacks within a week. It doesn't take long for him to, uh, to get bored there. He's sitting there just sort of, you know, cutting his toenails and playing Connect Four, and then after a while, he's like, no, nah, I've had enough of this. Let's just attack. Bugger, bugger these walls. Don't even worry about it. And uh, believe it or not, of course, he wins. He gives the town's garrison uh, a licking, and again, promises to spare anyone who surrendered. Now, you can imagine the relief of the people of Merv going, oh, Thank goodness, this crazy bastard is going to let us live. Quick surrender before he changes his mind. And here comes the bloody M. Night Shiloh Myler ding-dong twist ending once again. Tolui slaughtered the whole city. Yep, the apple did not fall too far from the tree. Real chip off the old block, this bloke. Because uh, he <laughs> he was not going to let them uh, let them get away with it. He was going to try to live up to the name of his old, his old dad there. And uh, again, you know there's that saying, uh, beware Greeks bearing gifts. I don't really think that one is appropriate as... Beware Mongolians with promises of peaceful surrender because Tolui put more or less the entire city to the sword as soon as they surrendered. Tolui then goes on westward and arrives at Nishapur during the fighting. His brother-in-law Tukucha was slain in battle. And as a result, when the Mongolians won, as if, you know, obviously that... Sorry, I, I, spoiler alert, the Mongolians end up winning the battle. Tukucha's widow was given pride of place when the, ensire, when the entire city was massacred. And in this case, it wasn't just limited to people. Uh, Tukucha's widow was able to stand and watch while every single living thing in Nishapur was killed, even the poor old cats and dogs, who didn't do hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, at this point, the Mongols, I'm thinking, geez, these bikes are brutal, they're pretty cool. But then they're murdering bloody innocent cats and dogs. That's not on. Come on, Tolui, pull your head out your butt, mate. That's not on. Anyway, Tolui wrecked a bunch of other cities, and you know, with his work more or less done in 1221, he heads back to meet up with, with, his, uh, with his dad and continue on from there. So, while this was all going on, while Genghis and Tolui and the rest of them are, you know, are wrecking Charisma and, and, and you know, tearing it to shreds, what was going on 
with old mate, uh, old mate Muhammad. Remember the bloke who had squash flies in his head who kicked this whole thing off by, you know, executing an ambassador? What was going on with him? Well, he realised that this was uh, going going pretty badly for him, so he buggers off. He uh, he buggers off and into hiding uh, before Samarkand had fallen, and he he hid on an island in the Caspian Sea. Now he ends up dying there, reportedly of pneumonia. But there's also the argument that it was a straight up shock because he couldn't believe how hard he'd been ram jammed by these uh, by these Mongols. He essentially lost his entire empire overnight, and as the Mongols continued this unbelievably brutal and bloody campaign of vengeance. He just rolled over and died, the poor bastard. He just, his ticker couldn't take it, apparently. Anyway, after his dad died, Muhammad's son, a fellow named, here we go, Jalal ad-Danya wa ad-Din Abul Muzaffar Manguberi ibn Muhammad, I think we're going to stick with Jalal here, he got up and about. He's, he's not going to take this one lying down. He has a red-hot go of organising a resistance by cobbling together an army in the west. And in 1221, the same year that Tului is heading back to Genghis, he takes the fight, Jalal takes the fight to the Mongols that Genghis had sent southwest to Parwan in modern-day Afghanistan. And check this out, Jalal actually wins. He beats these Mongolian bastards, if you believe it. But then, after a short-lived victory, he buggers it all up beyond belief. Because the story goes, and maybe this is just a story, you know, but still, this is how the story goes. When divvying up the spoils, both Jalal's father-in-law and an Afghan chief were arguing over who would snag this particularly fine white Mongolian horse. Now, Jalal, like an absolute bloody flog, he sides with his father-in-law, which is usually a good move, except for when it costs you half of your army. Because the Afghanis, they pack up their, uh, you know, all their stuff, and they say, buggy you, you blokes, you charismians, you can fight for yourselves, we don't care, you don't want to give us this horse, well, we're not going to give you our army, you know, stick it right up your bum. Anyway. So they give Jalal the big double middle fingers as they're walking off. Get stuff, mate. And this means that when a furious Genghis rides south to catch Jalal's army uh, as they're crossing the Indus River, Jalal gets absolutely ruined by Genghis and this horde. He manages to escape, however. Obviously, he loses the battle and obviously losing the war as well here. But he personally manages to escape and he flees to India uh, where he stays in exile. Now, in fairness to this bloke Jalal, after this stuff up with the horse, he does... Uh, you know, and after being sent into exile and living there, whatever else, he does actually try to get up and about again in later years in an effort to reclaim his kingdom, but it's too little and too late because the Mongols have won, they've conquered Kresmia, and it is all done and dusted. Within two years, Kresmia has fallen to Genghis after a brutal and ruthless conquest that was bloody even by the standards of the Mongols. It was essentially the most extreme large-scale loss of human life yet seen in history, in the entire course of human history. This was this is right, right up there. It is insane. It also, very importantly, set the stage for the next chapter in the history of the Mongolian Empire and their continued successes as they began to ravage the lands further west. When Genghis died in 1227, his son and successor, Odegai Khan, uh, used the captured Khorezmia as a starting point for all of his campaigns into the Kievan Rus and, and into Poland. And additionally, this was the beginning of the end of what is called the Islamic Golden Age. The conquest of Khorezmia opened up the Muslim realms uh, beyond to the Mongols, and 1258 saw the sack of Baghdad, a city which at the time was the, the capital of the Abbasid Caliphate. It was wealthy and relatively enlightened for the time, with libraries and science and all, all that sort of stuff going on there. Um, but it, it was ruined. It was it was overtaken by the Mongol hordes, and, and we lost countless amounts of of precious knowledge, science, and and, and you know mathematical advance, or whatever else like that, because of these Mongols. It all kicked off in Khorezmia. 
However, it was only two years after the sack of Baghdad that things started to go tits up with the Mongols because you know there was a lot of infighting after Genghis Khan died and after the the, the empire started expanding further. Eventually, it became uh, you know too big to 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 survive. And uh, even at its peak in 1270, the cracks really were starting to show as Genghis's legacy uh, started to fall in on itself. His sons and his grandsons were squabbling over this and that, like, you know, chooks over breadcrumbs here. And it fell to bits once and for all in 1294, with the death of Genghis, uh, Genghis's grandson, Kublai, and uh, never really recovered. It lost territory to political infighting, to rebellions, to continued disintegration. Just, yeah, well, there was no good news for the Mongols after this point. But the legacy of the Mongolian Empire still shapes the world today because uh, as the Mongols swept across Eurasia, they provoked huge change on so many different fronts. Apart from the slaughter, there was an enormous level of migration and the exchange of ideas and cultures that came with people moving from one place to another. Obviously, they're fleeing the Mongolian hordes, but still, it still counts. It still you know, was this enormous cultural exchange because of this migration. There was expansive new knowledge of the world's geography that spread across the continents due to this great knowledge of people. So generally, it was pretty good for you know, advancing the, the, the cause of human knowledge around the world. And it's also, this is very interesting, it's also suggested that even the European Black Death of the 14th century was because of these Mongolians and the ruin that they wrought, bringing un, you know, foreign diseases and, and pathogens from the Far East to, uh, into Europe with, of course, transmission of fleas and, and that sort of thing uh, uh, throughout Western Europe. And uh, this is also probably the most interesting point from, from my perspective. It's also suggested that, that the, the Mongolian conquest, the Mongolian Empire at its peak, influenced the climate of the planet due to the number of purely due to the number of people that they killed they actually put a dent in emissions even at that level because of you know farm animals cows and all that sort of stuff because of the huge dip in in the world population thanks to all the people that were killed it actually offset uh, you know, the, this this humans emissions which were at obviously much much lesser level back then but all the same it actually impacted the the planet the, the climate of the planet, which is which is pretty unbelievable. Anyway, all of this happened. Can I remind you? All of this happened. All the stuff we've been talking about right now. All this happened because of this idiot Muhammad when this trade caravan came along, and he's like, "Nah, we don't want your money. We'd rather you know have millions of people slaughtered and have our entire empire wrecked by by this Genghis Khan bloke." And you know that single decision was enormously impactful in in shaping the course of world history because of what happened when the Mongols got up and about and headed into Khorasmia. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of the Mongol conquest of Khorezmia. Plenty of other interesting stuff to get across there if you're interested in Mongol history, of course, even after the, the conquest of Khorezmia. But that's all we're going to get across today, at least. Going to whiz through all the final, uh, the outro housekeeping announcements, of course. Uh, halfhousehistory.net is the website for the podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show, previous episodes, links to the Twitter page, half History without an O, wouldn't fit, very annoying. And I've got a Patreon set up as well if you want to chuck us a few dollars. No, obviously... There's no obligation for you to do anything like this, but it certainly is very generous. And thank you so much to the people who are offering me support on, on Patreon. I do very, very much appreciate it. Buy myself a little meat pie every now and again with that, so that's good. Um, final thing is I do still have plenty of stickers to give away. I've sent them to Belgium and to America and all, all around the world so far, so I'm more than happy to send them to you wherever you are around the world for free, of course. Just get in touch, history at gmail.net, or .com, I should say, and uh, send us your address. I'll, I'll send through some stickers, no worries at all. Going to close thing out, things out today with, of course, another question posed uh, on Reddit. Reddit historian Tech Rented Mule would like to know, how many generations removed from Genghis Khan 
is Chuck a car? The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.